Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Recalibrating the Scales. I'm your host and Chief Executive Resolutionist, Normia Vasquez-Scales, at your disposal. Malcolm X himself, nevertheless, it resonates indisputable truth and overall profound personal relevancy. The evolution and advent of technological mediums and reality television alone has yielded an uncensored era, hence, an unplugged, literally and figuratively naked and nude society has emerged in comparison to prior decades. In lieu of modesty and discretion, no-holds-barred cultural norms have taken precedence, thereby shifting to the forefront in a plethora of regards. This is merely one of a magnitude of context, whereas boundaries are warranted. However, the critical need for personal parameters and boundaries is paramount to sustain relative order. Professional development coach Zemo Trevathan is poised to render an introspective discussion on establishing sound and healthy boundaries. Aligned with the aforementioned subject of boundaries and parameters, unquestionable and undeniable recent events have spurred me to face my nemeses as of late, and just the harsh pills of truth, of blatant truth, might I add, yielded by a crisis none other than the displacement of my son and I due to a ruptured water sprinkler system which flooded our residence at the threshold of our sprightly new year. A sequence of untimely events unfolded encompassing a rigorous campaign with my insurance company, identity theft, an NC state of an emergency, and a severe weather-induced power outage, abruptly extracting our possessions from our domain, bereavement, my career and son's homeschooling derailment, and above all, the aura of abandonment, silence, and heart-wrenching isolation from alleged trusted members of our circle, in layman's terms, literally being passed over by droves of familial and unrelated constituents of our social circle. Despite the scientific certainty that my son and I have been positively influential to them all in a plethora of regards, coincidentally, my Facebook account has been restricted, yet its timing prompted me to conclude that perhaps This is a blessing in disguise. Pardon me, ladies and gentlemen. A blessing in disguise, as my beloved mother would convey. Needless to say, my well-warranted social housekeeping or purging, per se, has unraveled and unfurled by default. Nevertheless, I've been smashed across the rocks, weathered the torrential storm, trod through turbulent and murky, murky waters, and ascended to the pristine surface, alas, bearing the sun's radiance. 
Most importantly, I've etched my name in stone as a self-proclaimed Contessa of Chapel Hill, coupled with newly established parameters pertaining to my streamlined circle, which I classify as the fortunate faithful few, all of which remain loyal and steadfast during this tumultuous yet illuminating period of bondage and appalling revelations. As for the lesson learned, I swiftly managed to differentiate from authentic individuals and entities who served our best interests versus those who've elected to cower and turn blind eyes, per se, to the obvious in the face of adversity. Case in point, the hard line has been illustrated between the two. Consequently, recalibration, order, and balance has been restored in record time. As for the former advocators as opposed to the contrary, you know who you are. Thank you immensely yet again for your individual and collective moral support. Ladies and gentlemen, I implore you to ask yourselves when, where, and in what context have you carved your respective lines in the sand? Please allow me to segue by sharing an encore rendition of my original poem crafted in homage to the faithful few who've crusaded in favor of my son and I titled Dual Capacity C. A bewilderment. Haunting visions plague the depths of her consciousness, swollen, embedded, comprised of retrograde images of liquid cascading, gliding, flowing down demure, melanated skin, hydrating her parched spirit, induced by the campaign of faux fallen rain permeating through every orifice in her pristine abode, thy body and thy temple. Disrupting the Zen by virtue of the den of rapid waters campaigning against the petrified foundation, pummeling the oak bearing the scaffold of vulnerability to visible, prevalent, and unseen antagonists obstructed by naked, unclothed eyes, rather dank, soiled windows, portals to unscathed souls, until knights, noble men striding in on scarlet horses, stallions, Capes trailing, whisking in some subarctic wind, sees the distressed damsel from her opulent turned abruptly fluid quarters. Alongside she, herself pouring into the sea of bewilderment engulfing her, she, groping, grasping, scrambling, gasping for sparse air, a hair above the surface, defying the cognitive dissonance, staking its claim, unearthing, beckoned restitution. Once again, and without further ado, I introduce to you Zemo Trevathan. Welcome to the Recalibrating the Scales radio show, Zemo. How are you this fair evening? Thank you, Mia. Uh, I'm doing great. I just got back Thank yesterday you. from a nine-day trip up to New York and Washington, D.C., so it's good to be back in North Carolina. Well, welcome home yet again. And Thank Zemo, you. Can you please share with our listeners a bit about you, your expertise, craft, and mission, for instance, the Aligned Team, per se? Sure. So I started this career 25 years ago uh, when I first hung out my shingle as a consultant. And so for the past 25 years, I've worked with uh, individuals, nonprofits, schools, governments, and for most of the past 15 years, corporations uh, in a a variety of ways that mostly come down to how do you help people work well together? How do you have people accomplish uh, strategies and objectives together? 
so the Alliance team was it was a natural name to give give my own team after a while because when when I'm when I've completed a project with a group that's usually the objective is to have whether it's a whole organization or a literal team sometimes even if it's just two people working together the getting to that state where we are aligned rows are or oars are rowing in the same direction you know we know what we're seeking to accomplish and how to accomplish it together and uh, I think, as we all know in our lives, so many different things can go wrong with just trying to get that state established, and that's what I help people do. Oh, are you still there? Yes. Oh, okay. I thought I lost you for a moment. No, Let I'm, me I'm here. Go ahead. Go ahead. Back to you. How does a quote no, I, I, a met? How does the quote, a man who stands for nothing will fall for anything, correlate to the topic at our disposal? Well, I, I loved that you titled the uh, this session Drawing Lines in the Sand, because the, one, of the, one of the core truths that you, that you have to confront when you're talking about a, a boundaries is that they don't really exist. And, you know, kind of like lines drawn in the sand, lines drawn in the sand may exist temporarily, but, you know, the slightest footprint, little bit of wind, wave, and they're gone again. And uh, even more than that, boundaries that were the kind of boundaries we're talking about here, boundaries that we set for our lives, what we're committed to, what we'll stand for, what we will agree to with others. Um, you can't see them. You can't touch them. And a pretty huge percentage of the time, any two people won't even walk away from the conversation with the same memory of what they were. So it's, it's a, a very strange phenomenon to have these shifting sands around something that is so completely vital to living life well. The, the, the very first time I flew in an airplane when I was seven, I remember fly, I flew from Los Angeles to Phoenix, Arizona, and, and I got the window seat. And, you know, of course there was a, a bunch of just to be amazed at, but the, strongest memory of looking out that window was how utterly disappointed I was when the captain said, we're now crossing over the line from California into Arizona. And I'm looking down mm. and there's no line. <laughs> I was expecting a big white boundary like you see in, you know, a puzzle or a map or something. And it's not there. It's made up. Right. So I think that that's a good visual for the whole thing as well. How do we work well with something that doesn't exist? Well, let's see. Let, I can add to that by asking, what observations or trends have you noted pertaining to boundaries? And that was a, there was actually a very good analogy and, a, and that anecdote that you in, uh, interjected with, but correlating to the topic that we have at hand. Modern versus, yeah, I, I, let me rephrase that. Go ahead. Oh, I was, was going to answer, but go ahead if you want to rephrase. No, no, please. The, to me, the, I mean, there, there, are, there are lots and lots of trends, but I think if you just have to name the number one trend to be the number increasing number of trends that there are. I mean, the chain, the rate and of and pace of change itself is accelerating, and I mean this has been talked about in in several different scientific context. I mean, it's definitely true in computer science and, you know, the rate at which computing power accelerates. 
but it, it's the same thing culturally. It's the same thing in terms of the cumulative impact we're having on our world. Um, the rate at which things change in our human world keeps getting faster and faster and faster. And part of what that means is any of the old rules or understandings about, well, even any of the old rules and understandings about rules and understandings, ideas about boundaries and parameters and, and agreements changing much faster and we're all getting exposed to a much bigger variety of other ways of doing it. So the, the diversity of our populations is increasing. The exposure that each one of us has to people who are different is increasing. So to me, that kind of almost overwhelming pace at which change itself is increasing and both the variety and the, and the pace of change. And I, I think boundaries are more important than ever and in a way, they're less meaningful than ever because there are more of them, and it's a little harder to tell which ones apply to whom. Hmm. And do you see, foresee, would you note any changes or any part of any, any challenges? When I'm thinking, when I think of boundaries, I know I started off by making using uh, the uncensored era, technology television, reality TV, everything is exposed, it's unplugged and uncensored. As opposed to being censored, we once upon a time, we lived and thrived in, in that uncensored world, and now that's the no-holds-barred has taken precedence. Do you have any thoughts well, in that regard? It's, I think it's a, that's kind of a double-edged sword, because on one hand, yes, things are even more uncensored, and that, and that is one of the causes of exactly what I was speaking to, that the less censored things are, the more exposed we are to an even greater variety of things. At the same time, operating in, an, in a more censored environment um, doesn't necessarily mean that things are any clearer because the less that you're able to talk about, there's more that's just being kept private and, and undiscussed and then guessed at. So there's kind of a funny... Uh, paradoxical relationship between whether things are censored or not, we still have the same fundamental challenge. How do I communicate with another person in a way where we can make, we can test out and find out with each other. Are my boundaries similar to yours? Can we, can, can we trust each other? Can we trust each other to act in ways where both of our boundaries are going to be understood? There's some ways now in the modern world where we've got more room to do that because it's, it's easier to talk about things than it was, say, when my parents were kids. And then there's other ways where it's harder now because there are just so many more things to talk about and so many more different cultural expectations colliding of how to do it. I mean, just, just as one very, very simple example, the, you know, the political environment right now in the United States, and I think everybody agrees and understands that the polarization has increased. And part of what I see when I look at that is even though there's more media than ever and there more can be put out there and discussed than ever, it's actually harder than ever for people at the opposite poles to say anything meaningful to each other. And that's, and that's what I'm saying about the paradox. Hmm. How would you say, how do you think an equilibrium can be attained if, this, if that's not redundant? Uh, or so what protocol process or formula would you advise for our listeners just to afford that beck and balance? Census sure. recalibrating the scale well, is synonymous with. Go ahead. All of all of that's 
kind of theoretical and cultural and very, very big picture and not what I am anyway. So, so I wouldn't even try to answer how we're going to reach an equilibrium at the, at the societal level. What, what I've spent my time learning about and practicing and helping people with comes much down to the, more to the microcosm. And I think, I think one of the most interesting observations there is um, most of us, let, let's, let's just bring it down to the very simplest level, just me within myself, each one of us within ourselves, before we even start thinking about boundaries and establishing equilibrium with other people, how do we establish equilibrium with ourselves? And I think the one thing that most of us would instantly recognize if we just you know, take a basic look at our lives is there aren't that many people who actually do set boundaries for themselves just within themselves and keep them. I don't know anybody who does actually. Everybody that I know has certain guidelines or rules or expectations, boundaries that they set for themselves that they keep. And then they have other places where they keep trying, but they keep breaking them. And simple examples, you know, diet, nutrition, exercise, you know, those kinds of things. Almost everybody that I know struggles on a regular basis with eating right, doing the right amount of exercise, you know, or that relationship, calling my mom often enough, you know, those, those kinds of things. We all have things that we know are important to do, things that we want to do, but it's difficult to keep doing them consistently. And to me, that, that's, that's the fundamental place where the balance starts, where the equilibrium gets set or upset is how do we make those kinds of simple agreements with ourselves in ways that we keep them more often than not. And then we can answer that question that you posed at the beginning of the, uh, you know, of the show, which is, you know, about how, what a man stands for. How do we decide what we stand for? First, we have to have a way of clarifying, well, how do I know when I stand for something that I'll actually do it? Mm-hmm. So I spend a lot of time just at that very basic level talking with people about that. This week, how do I set up what I'm going to do for myself this week and actually follow through on it? That's where I think the balance and equilibrium starts. Okay. Basically planning your work and working your plan, hearing the voice of a former superior of mine in a prior occupation. Yes. Um, right. If, right. If I understand and, you. Yeah. Go on. Yes. And, and having the basic, basic humility to acknowledge here's where I am good or not so good at establishing and following through on my own plan. We all have our own places where that doesn't work well for us. And then. Okay. Is there anything that you'd like to, to lend on the subject of, you know, in addition to what you've already uh, burst us with regard in regards to. Sure. Um, yeah. There's, there's kind of, there's three or four, kind of golden principles that, that I've found partly just from trying and failing and then succeeding and then failing again and working myself. But in terms of what actually works at the very granular level, there's, there's three or four handful of, of just basic golden principles that will tend to have us be more successful at setting boundaries for ourselves and then staying within them, honoring them. Um, number one is really, it, it almost sounds tautological, but number one is to make a commitment to keep every single one of my commitments. And that, that's, and uh, it, I 
test this with groups frequently. And my experience, you know, over the last couple of years is maybe one half of 1% of people have ever actually made that commitment out loud to say, hey, I am going to keep every commitment I set, period. We all kind of assume that that's the goal, but very few people actually make that as an explicit. And so then when, you know, the, the pizza comes around because we're with a group and they're eating pizza and my commitment to the food thing goes out the window because oh, I'll just make an exception. We don't notice when I'm making an exception, what I'm really doing is not keeping a commitment that I made to myself. So there's something about making a commitment to keep every single one of my commitments. That's a, it's a fundamental boundary that helps hold all the other boundaries. So that's, that's one that I okay. throw out to my, you know, my clients is that make a commitment to keep all your commitments. And then hand in hand with it is make that commitment out loud to somebody else, not yourself, and ask them to support you and hold you accountable to keeping that commitment. Hmm. Uh, we, we, sometimes we call that an accountability partner or an accountability buddy. Uh, as long as I make commitments in which I'm the only one holding myself accountable for keeping them, I'm kind of hedging my bet and building in a likelihood that at some point I'm going to let it go because it doesn't affect anybody else and nobody else knows. So making a commitment to keep all my commitments and then asking somebody else to help hold me, support me, hold me accountable in keeping that. Um, those are two, I mean, in, in a way that they're actually kind of boundaries. The first one is I'm setting a boundary for myself. I won't break my own commitments. And the second one, I'm setting a boundary by saying, I'm inviting somebody else inside my boundary and saying, I'm going to share this with you and empower you to help me be successful at this. Those would be the two most important starting steps, kind of core principles that, that I found. Okay. And I've made a note of those, actually. I definitely, <laughs> being the doer that I am, follow through is so critical with me, especially in this demanding phase of life. It's gotten much easier, you know, with the streamlining and working smarter and more efficiently. Um, but I, I accountability is is critical, as you've mentioned, yes. for oneself. And, yes. And having and imploring someone, employing someone or designating that party to be your accountability partner. Yes. Yes. On the, cre- then, on the creative, go ahead. Go no, ahead. go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I'd like to hear your, your, your stance. I was, um, the, once... Once you have kind of that core commitment, here's what I'm going to, um, um, my commitment to my own commitment and somebody to support me in it, there's a couple other kind of corollary guidelines that tend to help. So, I mean, I'll just go ahead and, and throw out a couple of those as well. Um, the, the, the most common way of capturing them is in the analogy SMART. Set SMART objectives for yourself. And SMART stands for Specific, Measurable, achievable, relevant, and time-bound. And di- Different people sometimes put different words to the, to the acronyms, but, but it basically says, it's basically a set of reminders and the kind of qualities of the kinds of boundaries where if I set them for myself, I'm most likely to keep them. Uh, and that's especially starting right in the middle with the A, the achievable. One of the biggest mistakes I think we, met, we make both when we're trying to set goals for ourselves and when we're trying to set boundaries with other people outside us is we try to accomplish too much at once and it's not really achievable. 
so actually asking what's a small enough commitment that I'm really confident if I said it, I can make it with maybe a little bit of stretch to it, but not, not too much. We undermine ourselves a lot by trying to set big, you know, that's, that's what happens with new year's resolutions. Often people get all inspired and the, the resolutions people make are too many steps away from where we are in the present. So, so being realistic about here's where I am, here's what I might actually be able to do this week and making it achievable is, is a really, really important quality of that. And in fact, I often tell people in the first couple of weeks of a new project, commit to too little, like it's more important to, to succeed at all of the steps than it is to have the right steps in place because you're building momentum. Um, and the time bound, the T in, in smart is part of that also. It's one of the big ways that people set goals that aren't achievable is we make them too long lasting, like maybe forever. Someone else, you know, I'm going to jog, I'm going to jog every day. Well, mm -hmm. that's not taking into account. Sometimes I'm going to get sick. Um, I'm just going to have a busy day. It's going to rain, et cetera. And it's also not taking into account that there's no end period on that. So if I set the goal, I'm going to jog every day and I do it for three years and then I stop, I actually just failed at the literal definition of the goal. So I want to set, I want to set my commitments at one week. I think one week is the ideal time period for this week. Here's my goal this week. I'm going to jog three times. That's both. That's the specific, the measurable it's time bound. And then at the end of the week, that's where the accountability partner comes in. I have somebody to talk to and say, Hey, here's what I committed to this week. Here's where I set my parameters and boundaries. And then here's where I succeeded and here's where I didn't. And now we can start the whole cycle over based on that. Here's what I've learned. And now I can recalibrate and set new commitments based on what I've learned where I'm more likely to succeed this week than I was last week. Cause I'm learning. Understood. Very clear. Very clear. Now, and the couple minutes that we have remaining on the creative front, um, was there anything that you'd like to share with our listeners as well? Uh, well, actually, I was inspired by you having a poem, and I have mm -hmm. one as well. It's uh, Robert Schlaff's poem, Mending Wall, which uh, I'll, I'll just say a couple words about it first because I was introduced to this in high school. And uh, you'll you'll hear the comedy that that's in the poem, and I laughed when I first heard it because it sounds like the author of the poem is saying, "Well, you know, you don't really need a wall here. You know, what's the purpose of a wall? Maybe we should be tearing down walls and going more towards that uncensored space that you were talking about." But but as you listen to the poem, it's really about the wisdom of it's important to know where our limits are and to have agreements about where those limits are, and that's in the end, what allows us to stay in balance with each other. So, Mending Wall by Robert Frost. Something there is that doesn't love a wall, that sends the frozen ground swell under it and spills the upper boulders in the sun, and makes gaps even two can pass abreast. The work of hunters is another thing. I've come after them and made repair where they've left not one stone on a stone, but they would have the rabbit out of hiding to please the yelping dogs. The gaps, I mean. No one has made them or seen them made or heard them, but at spring, mending time, we find them there. I let my neighbor know beyond the hill, and on a day we meet to walk the line and set the wall between us once again. We keep the wall between us as we go, to each the boulders that have fallen to each. And some are loaves and some so nearly balls that we have to use a spell to make them balance. 
Stay where you are until our backs are turned. We wear our fingers rough with handling them. Oh, just another kind of outdoor game, one on a side. It comes to little more. There where it is, we do not need the wall. He is pine. I am apple orchard. My apple trees will never get across and eat the cones under his pines, I tell him. He only says, good fences make good neighbors. But spring is the mischief in me, and I wonder if I could put a notion in his head. Why do they make good neighbors? Isn't it where there are cows? But here there are no cows. Before I build a wall, I'd like to ask what I was walling in or out and to whom I was like to give offense. There's something in nature that doesn't love a wall that wants it down. I could say elves, but it's not elves exactly, and I'd rather he say it for himself. I see him there bringing a stone grasped firmly by the top in each hand like an old Stone Age savage armed. He moves in darkness, as it seems to me, not of woods only in the shade of trees, but he will not go behind his father's saying. And he likes having thought of it so well, he says it again. Good fences make good neighbors. Thank you immensely for sharing that poem. Please stand by, stand by for just a brief moment, Simo. Okay. I'd like to render the utmost highest accolades to Zemo Trevathan for carving out the time, space, and energy to lend us expertise and wisdom on the aforementioned topic. Moreover, I thank my faithful few, encompassing my behind-the-scenes team Bradley, coupled with all of my avid and unwavering supporters speckling the globe. Thank you immensely for being there. Via listenership, patronage, and resilience amid my trials, shortcomings, feats, and milestones. Furthermore, I humbly beckon your continuous support. By all means, please follow me via Twitter and Instagram, as always. Until the next episode, this is Normia Vasquez-Scales, signing off. Thank you.